Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello and welcome to March 18. Huh, I failed to note the Ides of March earlier in the week. I did note St. Patty's Day yesterday. Um, as far as I know, there's nothing particularly important about this date, except here we are in it. And what are we going to make of it? Uh, she said sniffing. I want to talk a little bit more about something I brought up yesterday. Uh, and I want to talk with a little bit more knowledge <laughs> than I had um, yesterday. And that is the, and don't groan when I say it, that is the filibuster. Yeah. Now, the filibuster is one of those things that I think, what do you think? If you did a person on the street interview uh, and stopped uh, various people walking on the sidewalk, I guess, this in the day before we were all masked, and you said, hey, can you tell me what a filibuster is? I mean, what do you think the um, percentage <laughs> of Americans who could tell you what that was? They might have heard the word. It's a funny sounding word, a filibuster. I mean, it could be a, uh, is it a meteorological term for a particularly horrible winter storm that targets Philadelphia? Uh I think most Americans, even if they know that it's this thing that happens in the Congress that um, a lot of people are upset about, but people don't know what it is, okay? And to hear the caterwauling about it now would suggest that it is like foundational to the way our Congress works. First of all, it is only over in the Senate that there is such a thing as the filibuster. By the way, it's a word that comes from, uh, what was it, the, not the Greek. It comes from um, Dutch, the Dutch language, and it has some uh, reference somehow to piracy. <laughs> I don't know. So that's what the filibuster. Now, Democrats are increasingly saying that if they want to enact any of their agenda, they got to get rid of this thing or definitely reform it. Um, it was never in the Constitution. The founding fathers, if you dug them up and said, what's a filibuster? They'd say, is that some terrible storm that strikes Philadelphia? So, I mean, they don't know either. So, um, here's the thing. Something's got to be done about it because we have, that'd be the sane human beings of uh, this republic, we have a very small window here, about a year and a half until the until the 2022 midterms to pass the kind of legislation that is woefully needed, okay? 
when Republicans control the legislative branch of government, they do not use it for much of anything because they do not really believe in government. I've said that a million times. They use it for two things. They use it to aid corporations and aid the rich. They uh, reduce taxes and they get rid of regulations. And as for the rest of us, they don't do much of anything except, you know, uh, defund programs that might help us or prevent uh, policy that might, in fact, move us forward. So with the filibuster, it now requires not just a simple majority to pass legislation. You need 60 votes of the 100 senators. And where did that come from? Well, the filibuster showed up, you know, long, long, long. It, it was initially used. It was a new rule that the Senate created, and it was mostly used to block civil rights legislation. <laughs> yeah. Um, it required that if somebody, if a senator wanted to... Uh, you know, keep things from moving forward. Well, and then he, and it was a he, he could stand up and hold the floor for as long as he could handle it. That's a filibuster. Somewhere along the lines, the now snowflakey senator said, well, no one should be required to stand up for hours on end, not be able to like go to the bathroom or something. So they got rid of what it had originally had been, which was this actual exercise in uh, amazing uh, mental and physical staying power to uh, attempt to win over votes. Um, so it was Senator McConnell, who of course is now saying, you want to see a scorched earth policy here in the Senate? Well, you just try to touch the filibuster because that's what you're going to get. This was the guy who most recently changed it. This is the guy who's been messing with the filibuster and using it forever. He is the one who instituted the most recent shift, which is what allowed him and Trump to pack the Supreme Court and the federal judiciary, because they, with their, with their majority, uh, passed uh, a rule that would uh, say that you do not need 60 votes, which is what you did. You did not need 60 votes to confirm uh, a Supreme Court justice. And the reality is, is that not one of the three people, I hate calling them justices, not one of the three people that Trump put on that court, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, or what's her name, not one of them got close to 60 votes. They wouldn't have made it if McConnell hadn't tinkered. So when it came to court packing, McConnell uh, saw nothing wrong with majority rule. 51 votes. 
Now that's what the Democrats want, to pass their legislation. And he's gone berserk. Here's the thing. And actually, this is the most uh, brilliant thing that I've seen on it, because this this shows why Democrats should just go for it. Go for it. They got nothing to lose. And it was in a letter to the New York Times today written by some guy named Steve Goldman. And he says this, one can understand the reluctance of some Senate Democrats to eliminate the filibuster. Because the built-in structural advantage and all the gerrymandering that's been going on by Republicans have made it very difficult to maintain a Democratic majority in the Senate. Democrat, as we know, I mean, you know, Rhode Island with six people in it gets two senators. Texas gets two senators. Wyoming gets two senators. California gets two senators. And that means that a lot of big, or, or as it turns out, was Rhode Island, tiny, but not very populous states get huge, rep- the people in those states are hugely represented in the Senate. While those of us who live in Pennsylvania, Texas, California, New York are not. So the structural advantage has always been to the Republicans. And the concern is, is that if now that the Democrats have control for, we can only be assured for maybe 18 months, that we don't want to do something that's going to help us right now, but come back to bite us when we might want to make use of the filibuster as the minority party. But, and here's where this letter writer nails it, but in reality, the only legislative ambition Senate Republicans seem to have is passing tax cuts for the very few and stacking the courts with judges who will roll back social gains, right? And that is all, if you look at this Senate under McConnell and under Trump and the current iteration of the Republican Party, they've done nothing except that. So the reality is, is that because of McConnell tinkering already with the filibuster, these, you know, doing stacking the courts, that's already exempt from the filibuster. It's the only way McConnell did what he did. And tell me what the Republican, the bills that the Republicans are trying to pass. Can you name one? And I've asked you this before. Name some policy that Republican candidates are running on. Name something, a piece of legislation that they're, you know, just chomping at the bit to pass. There aren't any. They don't legislate. They don't legislate 
they simply, well, do they prevaricate? They obfuscate, but they don't legislate. So this guy who wrote to the Times says, there is only one party really that benefits from being able to block a legislative agenda because there is only one party that actually has one. <clears throat> and that's the Democratic Party. So do this. Be brave. Be very unlike what you usually do it. Uh, E.J. Dion writing in uh, the Washington Post today and arguing for essentially this says, actually, if you really want to get rid of this stupid thing, it's going to take time. And it might have to be done gradually. So it might have to be done with like what the president. God, does that feel good to be able to say the president and be talking about an honorable person? The president, in a recent interview with George Stephanopoulos, said, and this is a change for him, he is open <laughs> to taking the filibuster back to what it used to be, which means you stand there and you keep talking. If it's that important, then do it, right? So I just wanted to say, I sure as heck hope that the Democrats will take this on, that uh, the few Democrats that are still squishy about it can, can be, uh, well, argued into uh, a different stance. And let's let's just hope. That's um, what I wanted to say on that. And as we look at what the Republicans are doing now as a minority party in the legislative chamber, you can see that even a minority party has the ability to gum up the works, the filibuster being one of the ways. But here we are in the middle of a pandemic Maybe not the middle anymore. Maybe we're three quarters of the way through. Who knows? But we are in a pandemic. And what part of our government is most crucial right now? Well, the part of the government that deals with public health. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so 23 of the 31 top leadership posts at the Department of Health and Human Services are empty right now. Well, they've got like acting people from civil service are, are minding the store. But the fact is, is that Biden's choices for those positions have been stalled and stymied by the Republicans because that's what they do. So in the thick <clears throat> of the worst public health crisis 
any of us have ever known. Because of the Republicans, we have no one at the helm of the most important departments in dealing with that pandemic. It might change today. Finally, they we I guess they've run out of uh, tricks, and uh, Biden's nominee for the Secretary of Health, who used to be a uh, was he the Attorney General of California, I think Xavier Becerra, he will be voted on today. And if, excuse me, I'm blowing my nose in here. It will not be um, unanimous vote. I can assure you. One of his major deputies is Rachel Levine, and we in Pennsylvania know Dr. Levine, and she did manage yesterday to take a little step closer in that uh, she her 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 path has moved up one more step, but not yet to a vote. Um. And, you know, the Republicans are just beside themselves about her. So there is no floor vote that has been scheduled for Dr. Levine or for Biden's choice for Surgeon General. There's no one heading right now, um, I believe, the FDA. So this is... <clears throat> Again, excuse me. I'm sorry. I mean, oh, rabbit. <laughs> I don't. It's too early for spring allergies, isn't it? Global warming. Oh, man. And then, again, look at look at the Republicans. I, I mean, I know it's hard, but just look. So Democrats are in control, and they are busy, 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 moving legislation through the. Uh, <laughs> through the uh, Rube Goldberg uh, machinery of uh, the House and Senate. And um, the House ha- has voted to uh, renew a piece of legislation that was left to expire during the Trump administration and when Republicans were control in control. And it shouldn't surprise you. It was the Violence Against Women Act. Don't ask me. (laughs) I don't know. Does that suggest that Republicans are all for violence against women? But they let that piece of legislation fail. And interestingly enough, President Biden to this day says it was the greatest thing he has ever done in he was the senator who first wrote that law in 1994, Senator Biden. So when he became president, one of the first things he wanted to do is to correct this outrageous thing that the Republicans, you know, sitting around doing nothing, had allowed to happen. And the reality is is that during the pandemic, it is known that violence against women has increased. A lot of people locked up together. Uh, Domestic violence is increased, not surprisingly. It passed 
the uh, it passed the House. Not a lot of Republicans voting for it. Twenty nine. The vast majority voted against it. And now it goes to the Senate, where supposedly Democrats are in control, but it needs 60 votes. And a lot of Republican senators have a lot of trouble with renewing for putting this Violence Against Women Act back on the books. They say things like it's it's a Trojan horse for a far less political agenda. It touches on gun control because if somebody's been convicted of violence against women, it takes away their right to own a gun. Makes sense to me. Here's another problem they have with it. They say under the Democrats, a woman's shelter <clears throat> would be forced to allow in a transsexual woman, which to the Republicans means a man. Now, by the way, the scaremongering in regard to, you know, men going into women's bathrooms, all this stuff that the Republicans raise on this issue, there is not one case, not one instance where something like that has happened. A trans woman's a woman, and if she's being abused, she wants to go to a shelter for women. Oh, dear God. Save us from these Republicans. Uh... Thank you, Ed. He just sent me a uh, a headline uh, for a piece in New York Magazine uh, this morning, <laughs> and it is this: Republicans warn, stop us before we govern again. <laughs> and it is about doing something about the filibuster. Because the threat that McConnell uh, leveled the other day uh, to literally scorch earth, it, that's what he does anyway. So he says, when the Democrats have control, we will refuse to do anything. We will, with every arcane rule in the Senate, grind the gears to a halt. We'll come alive a little bit when we regain control so that we can, you know, pack more courts and lower more taxes on the very rich. According to this article in New York, McConnell's account of the horrors that await our country if the filibuster were to, well, get killed. Here's what he says. 
as soon as Republicans wound up back in the saddle. And as I said, structurally, that's easy for them to do. We wouldn't just erase every liberal change that hurt the country. We'd strengthen America with all kinds of conservative policies. What are conservative policies? Okay, I'll go on. With all kinds of conservative policies, with zero input from the other side. Oh, here we go. Nationwide right to work for working Americans. In other words, the, they destroy what's left of the labor movement. Defunding Planned Parenthood, where so many poor women get the only health care they have. Oh, and he's going to go after sanctuary cities. God knows these are the things that keep Americans up at night. Hello, am I back? I don't know what happened, and I hope you're still there. Um, I'm assuming I'm on now. I was going to say that in regard to transgender stuff, which meet so many people, and I noted including myself, struggle with um, understanding, you know? It's like, what? What? That boy thinks he's a girl? And you know what? I listened today to testimony given to a uh, legislative committee by a, I think, 16-year-old girl. <clears throat> and I have to tell you, it was so moving. And she talked of her life of her reality. I also listened to testimony from a father um, who 
insisted that his son, uh, born a boy, act like a boy. The boy wanted to wear girls' clothes, wanted to play with girls, not the boys. This father forced this child to continue to be what he sure as hell looked like he was, a boy. And this father ended up testifying in front of a legislative committee. I can't remember which state. I think it was Oklahoma. And said, I was so wrong. Trying to keep my child a boy only made that child friendless, miserable, unhappy in every way. It was a child that never smiled. It was a child that was barely hanging on. And the minute he allowed the child to live as the child wanted to, he had a gloriously happy, well-rounded girl. Now, this father lived it and saw it and is now a true believer in it. And he was trying to educate people who just can't comprehend it. This father could have had a miserable boy child in his house. I mean, miserable, friendless, barely talked, didn't do well in school, had no interest. Or he could have a thriving, happy girl. And that's what he now has. So I think like so many things, unless we don't have personal uh, experience with this, because it's something we, in our experience, don't know, I think most Americans have never encountered what the parents of a transgender child do. And if you listen to those parents, they're the ones to listen to because they're living it. And those of us, it's sort of like white people who don't think they're racist or don't think that their skin, lack of skin color gives them any privilege. They're being willfully ignorant and blind. And I think that's what going, is going on in large part with people who just can't get their heads around transsexuality. But this 16-year-old kid, her name is Stella Keating, and uh, she spoke before the Senate Judiciary Committee And what was on the table was whether 
girls, such as she, should be protected by federal law. Now, Senator Grassley, Republican, Iowa, 155 years old, said that transgender girls are biological men. And other <clears throat> Republicans say they are a threat to the safety of other girls and women, as I said, being against the uh, the uh, the Violence Against Women Act. I'm sorry, I couldn't think of the name. Violence Against Women Act, because some some guy dressed as a woman might show up in a homeless shelter, I mean, in a women's shelter, <laughs> so he could what? Uh, I, I don't know, rape and pillage. And this girl is so composed, so amazing. And she said, I, it, it's the greatest honor of her life to be able to speak uh, and represent the hundreds of thousands of kids just like me, she said. And you look at her. I guess she was born a boy. But if that ain't some wonderful young woman that you're looking at, then, you know, I'm not sitting here in my bathrobe um, staring out the window. So I do think that this is a tough one because it's not like there's as many, you know, gay stuff was hard for a lot of people. But there were so many gay people, as it turns out, and when they started coming out, people who couldn't get around their heads that gayness was real and much and it, it, you know it, and it, oh my god their lawyer was gay their doctor was gay this person they loved was gay the neighbor was gay that allowed a lot of people to do a very quick kind of recalibration of their heads And a lot of people learned very quickly that what they thought they knew wasn't true. What they thought of as gay people was some cartoon that was cartoon image, a grotesque cartoon image that was uh, created out of ignorance and fear and hate and need for control. There are fewer transgender people than gay people. A lot. And so I think it'll be a harder slog for them to be heard because fewer of us will know a transgender person, will understand their lives, and will in fact believe them. Right. Okay, that's just something. And as I say, I continue to have like a sort of knee-jerky response that sometimes is very, um, I think, wrong.
few things I want to share. Unbelievable. Here, here it is, white privilege. The horrific massacre of those Asian women in uh, Atlanta. So the spokesperson for the, uh, for the county sheriff's department, a guy named Captain Jay Baker, in giving, you know, a statement to reporters the other day, said this. This is yesterday. Here's what he said. And he's talking about the guy who's in custody for killing eight people, six of them, I believe, Asian. Here's what he said about that mass murderer. <clears throat> he was pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope. Yesterday was a really bad day for him. And this is what he did. He described a mass murderer as having a bad day. He was kind of fed up. He was at the end of his rope. So he killed eight people. Now I ask you, I suspect if he were black, brown, Muslim, anything else, no such empathy would have <clears throat> surfaced. Nothing like that would have been said, right? He was having a really bad day the spokesman for the sheriff's department there says, well, what kind of a day do you think the eight people he massacred were having, let alone their families and friends and loved ones? I mean, it just defies. That's what he said. White guys, understand white guys, I guess. Some people were so blown away by what he said that immediately, of course, they go, someone goes looking on the internet. Journalists went looking for this guy's social, uh, you know, any social media postings he might have made. And lo and behold, what did they find on Facebook? He had posted, he was promoting shirts, t-shirts that called the coronavirus, that said imported from China. And I don't know. So clearly here's a guy who's, I mean, I, so that they've been saying, see, see, this guy is anti-Asian too. And someone blows away all these Asian women and he says they're having a bad day. I don't know if you can connect all those dots, but you sure as hell can be absolutely slack-jawed in what he said about the alleged killer. Right? Oh, my. Hey, this is something interesting I found. <laughs> you know, one of the things I've learned this year 
is, and it's a really important thing, is that, and I've talked about it a bit, is that one of the reasons, probably the main reason that Americans do not have the kind of uh, safety net uh, that other people living in other countries have. And I mean, by, I mean, the vast majority of people living in democracies much like ours, any country in Europe, a lot of countries in Asia, a lot of Canada, um, South America, some countries, I'm sure. The reason we don't have what the people living in all those places have, you know, and just assume as part of what a government, of course, does, which is healthcare, providing everyone with access to health care that they don't even have to pay for, help with child care, colleges that can be gotten to without having to hand over $50,000, $70,000 a year, stuff that other other countries just assume is what government exists for. That people are taxed and that pot of money that goes back to the people in the form of this social contract. You get, government says you give me some money and I'm going to organize programs that will then come back to you and make your lives better, healthier, and certainly a whole lot less stress-free, a whole lot more stress-free than we Americans think is normal. So the reason we don't have those things is that when white people realized that all this nice stuff was going to go to black people too, they said, I'd rather not have it then. That is what happened. That is what happened. Cutting off their noses to spite their faces because, damn it, are you, you kidding me? We're going to give that money to them? Uh-uh. That is why. That is why. And Republicans have, you know, built their brand on stoking white resentment of anything that might go to lessening the burden on people who struggle, struggle because of poverty, struggle because of uh, uh, systemic racism, who struggle. And one of the things that because, of course, are very busily doing now. This is the kind of thing that when they do legislate, this is what they do, right? They've got bills in state legislatures trying to deprive, right? 
black people and Democrats from voting. Now, there's no way that they can actually pass a bill that says, and if you're black, you can't vote by mail. That they can't do. But they get around it. They just go after things that black voters do more, Sunday voting, things like that, that'll disproportionately harm black voters as opposed to white voters. Well, it turns out, and this is interesting, that as these laws are being uh, debated and or written and or passed, some white folks, are looking at what's being passed and they're saying, what? Wait a minute. You're shortening the early voting period? You're closing the polls earlier? You're you're getting rid of Sunday vote? Because white people also enjoy those things. Not the majority of them, but a lot of them. So Last week in Iowa, that state's governor, Republican, signed a bill passed by the Republican legislature that has a whole panoply of these kinds of voter suppression restrictions. The Des Moines Register did a poll and they found not surprisingly that 71 percent of republicans favored it and 81 percent of democrats were opposed to it independents favored it but a whole bunch said that the voting bill that had just been signed, they did not approve of. So, not 42, okay, I'll just get the numbers here. They're not huge, but if you polled all of Iowans, which is as red a state as you can have, a majority were opposed this bill. They didn't like ending the early voting period. They didn't like this condensing of their ability to cast their vote. So what is interesting here is in as much as Republicans do their thing, it could be that they're not calculating that on certain issues, white folks have awakened and realized that this is harming them in a way they don't want. That could be good, right? Turns out that really most people don't appreciate somebody taking their access to voting away, making it harder. No, 
Uh, hang on. I got some other stuff here. This I found, and I, I, I'm, there are things that I read, and I, I just am in a, again, I think I used jaw drop before, but this is another one of those jaw-dropping jaw things for me. This was in the uh, sports section of the New York Times today. The headline is, Black NFL Players Want a New Advocate on Concussions. And it refers in uh, to one of the black athletes that has spearheaded this effort is a former Steeler uh, named Kevin Henry. Uh, he was a defensive end for eight seasons, it says here. And he believes that he has suffered damage, brain damage, as a result of um, his playing. And a lot of other black players have. And as you know, there's this settlement that was reached by the NFL wherein they uh, they give uh, monetary pay payments to players that prove that their work in the NFL gave them dementia or some other horrific disease. And this was a class action suit. The black players are now saying that the way that it is determined who gets what actually has a race-based algorithm attached to it. And I mean, they're, they're right. It does. I can't even... White players are getting dementia claims approved more than black players are. What the black players are saying is, hey, we want the testing that we had done brought back and rescored to see if we, in fact, now will rise to the level that the white players rise to to get payments for it. And the reason they want them rescored is because in figuring out who gets the payments and who gets how much of a payment, the people making these decisions put the exams, these scores, through, I'm looking for the exact term of it because it is so mind-blowing to me. It is a kind of race-based benchmark uh, in which blacks are run through a, I mean, they don't get the, they aren't looked at as just human, white, black. What the hell difference does it make? The NFL has said now, there is no merit to this claim of discrimination. These kinds of demographic adjust, adjustments are common practice. It's using something called the Heaton standard. I bet Dr. Heaton wasn't a black guy. 
The NFL thing requires the use of the Heaton norm for these tests. And that is a race-based benchmark that decides whether or not there really is cognitive decline in these players. I mean, it just seems so. One of the lawyers for the players says, I mean, like what? Yeah. He says, unlike many civil rights cases, the use of Heaton's race-based norms is just discriminatory on its face. By definition, these norms have the effect of treating black players differently from white players. And here is another uh, person who's head of the Memory and Aging Center at uh, UC San Francisco. She says, among the scientific community, it is now widely recognized that race or ethnicity and these biologically based racial differences have that they are debunked. (laughs) This kind of stuff is what keeps black patients from being treated as white patients are. This Heaton stuff. There was something in the New England Journal of Medicine about it uh, relatively recently. So this is not something unique to the NFL. This kind of race, it's called race norming. And it exists, obviously, in the criminal justice system where it too is used to help determine where police are deployed, how long prison sentences are. And the reality is that this kind of racial discrimination, I mean, algorithms are used. Who creates algorithms? Human beings with their biases. <coughs> I'm just, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blown away by it blown away. I don't pretend, obviously, and you could tell from my halting uh, rendition of all of that, that it can't be. It, It should not be allowed. I'll quote Dr. Seuss from Horton Hears a Who. A person, a person, a person's a person, however, how is a small, oh, I can't. I'll paraphrase Dr. Seuss. After all, a person's a person no matter how small. That was the who's. It doesn't matter how big or how small the skin color. People are people, for God's sake. Uh, here's Republicans up here. Talk about Republican cancel culture. So it turns out that um, in the uh, state of Tennessee, the Historical Commission 
<laughs> voted overwhelmingly to remove a bust from the state capitol. The bust in question is that of a guy named Nathan Bedford Forrest, who was a hero of the Confederacy and the founder of the Ku Klux Klan. The Historical Commission, which is made up of 29 people, said, uh, yeah, I think he'd better go. And that's in Tennessee. Get him out of there. So guess what's happening? There are Republicans who are now, this is again, the only reason they legislate, sponsoring a bill that would replace all the members of that 29-person commission and then put in like-minded people who have, I guess, the requisite reverence toward Nathan Bedford Forrest. God almighty. Okay, quickly, because we're running out of time. This is something that made my uh, blood run cold. Um, that the authorities uh, arrested a guy from Texas who was outside the vice president's residence. That would be Kamala Harris, Kamala, excuse me, Kamala Harris. And... Um, they arrested him, and what they found in his on him was uh, a gun and ammunition. And then, an, and, and when they got to his car, they found a whole lot more: an unlicensed gun, an AR-15 semi-automatic, a bunch of bullets. And thank God somebody in Texas who knew him had sent a message to law enforcement that this guy was heading that way and was, according to them, acting strangely. Now, we are being warned by our intelligence people that domestic uh, terrorism domestic violence by these far-right and uh, white nationalist groups um, is a given. And we are nowhere near out of the woods here. And the fact that it just takes one, right? A lone wolf, lone wolf to take out a target. And make no mistake, our vice president is a target a big target. Now, <clears throat> I don't think they're living, she's living there. I think they're redoing things in there and she and her husband are at Blair House, but I, I might be wrong. But it just reminded me. I re remember how you felt when Barack Obama was elected. The elation and then the terror. I mean, I felt this almost certainty that there was no way he wasn't going to be assassinated. I just knew it. And so when he was kept secure and safe, I let my guard down a little bit. But with what's going on in the country now, 
I wouldn't for a minute. Not for a minute. Okay, guys, I'm sorry about that. Uh, what happened is my phone uh, dropped out for some reason, and uh, that wasn't my landline. So anyway, uh, just wanted to share with you that. And uh, one more quick, this is just a tweet from Jim Shuto that, again, points out how repulsive this Republican Party is. He said, more Republican members of the House voted against awarding medals to the Capitol Police who defended them from the deadly January 6th insurrection than voted for impeaching the guy who incited it, Donald Trump. More Republicans voted against giving medals to the Capitol Hill police. They voted against it. More than voted (laughs) to impeach the guy who essentially caused it. That's your Republican Party. Despicable. Hey, thank you very much. I'm going to go blow my nose and uh, try not to get wet, try to stay safe, and um, I'll be back on Monday, okay? Bye-bye. Lynn Cullen Live. Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.